0: Amnesty's secret comedy podcast. We've just finished
1: recording our star-studded podcast here at the Underbelly, and what a laugh it was. We had stand-up from Ivo Graham and Neil Delamere. Janie Godley told us a little bit about her family life.
2: I've only got one child. Um, I don't have my husband's name, and I don't wear rings, and I've just got the one, because I don't breed well in captivity.
1: (laughs) Fred McCauley revealed what people in Scotland thought of Andy Murray's Wimbledon success. Aye, once again, Scotland punching above its weight.
3: And I was thinking, only in Scotland do we measure our success by violence and obesity.
1: (laughs) Greg Proops explained the Midwest's view on evolution.
4: 4,000 years ago, Jesus rode a dinosaur to a gun show to buy an (laughs) AK-47 so he could shoot a married faggot on his way to commit an abortion against the Lord.
1: (laughs) And right at the end, Andrew Maxwell told us why he respects some of the world's dictators. I think he was joking. So let's get on with it, shall we? Here's your host, me. (laughs) Welcome, live from the underbelly, it's Amnesty International's Secret Comedy Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Byrne. Yeah. Yes, here we are at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. How many people in the audience are from Edinburgh? Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to vote yes or no on the referendum? Independent or not? Yes. Yes. Some yes? Yeah, oh, some no, oh, a lot of no's. A lot of no's. I think, I'm surprised that I would have thought Edinburgh would be more yes. Because if you think about it, if Scotland becomes independent, think what it'll do to the property prices in Edinburgh when suddenly everyone's got to buy an embassy here. <laughs> yeah, suddenly so a few, a few knowers are going, Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Because I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, I, I kind of feel bad for... Greece, Greece can't afford an embassy in Edinburgh. G- Greece, Portugal and Ireland will have to club together and get themselves a flat in Musselburgh. That's the best they can do at this point. The only way Greece can afford an embassy in Edinburgh is if they rent it out during The Fringe to comedians. (laughs) Imagine being a Greek tourist here for the tattoo and you lose your passport and you go to your embassy to get a new one and Jason Manfred answers the door. That's going to throw you. Anyway, it's the biggest, the brightest, the funniest, the most outrageous comedy at The Fringe, right here, right now. Thanks to all of you who have come here today to show your support for Amnesty and for great comedy. Give yourselves a round of applause, please. Let's get cracking with our first guest. Her latest show is a rallying call for freedom of speech. It's the godmother of comedy, nightmare mother, former journalist and all-round force of nature, Janie Godley. I'll
2: tell you a bit about myself. Um, I love men. People always assume female stand-ups don't like men and they get angry. I love men. I'll tell you why I like men. Men have a simple attitude and a beautifulness about them that women just complicate and make mental. I think that men are just happy. If you see a woman, she'll text and go, remember that time we were at Turnberry? We had a great time and with the four poster bed, you and I went to the beach. Do you remember that? And the man just writes back, yeah. (laughs) And a woman wants a poem. Leave them alone. Just, you know why I love men? Men like five things. Men like the house, their kids. They like their job, they like sex and sausages. (laughs) That's it. If you tell every man, I'm gonna give you sex, a sausage, and just to add it up, I'm gonna show you a video of a shark biting shit, men are over the moon. (laughs) If you said to every man in this room, you're gonna get laid a sausage and see a shark, he'll be like, I'm gonna tile your bathroom. You just make men happy, just don't question everything. Just go, do you do you fancy a quick a quick sex and a sausage? And then as a shark, it's just like bit a guy and it's interesting. He's like, I'm the happiest man in the world. <laughs> I've been married thirty-three years. I have a lot of sharp back catalogue and you've no idea the amount of sausages I've cooked in my lifetime and I'm a bit chafed. Anyway! (laughs) Seriously, I married a Catholic in Glasgow, which is like an event. And uh, because I'm not a Catholic, it automatically makes me by default a Protestant. Um, I'm not, but that's what they call it. And we had had a theme wedding in Glasgow. It was a Catholic marries a Protestant. 1980, we had a theme wedding. The theme was hatred and... (laughs) everybody turned up with their anger so I've only got one child um, I don't have my husband's name and I don't wear rings and I've just got the one because I don't breed well in captivity um, it's a captivity joke for amnesty I'm glad <laughs> But yeah, my husband's got Asperger's and mild autism. I just thought he was really interesting and quirky. I didn't know it was an undiagnosed mental illness when I met him. <laughs> my husband collects black pens. I know, it's weird. So like, I've got a black pen. I'm like, yay. My daughter said, I can't believe you married him. My daughter still lives at home because she likes Star Trek and can't get a boyfriend. <laughs> so <laughs> Ashley says, I can't believe you married him. I went, hey. I just have sex with him. You have this creepy DNA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the thing is, is I'm 52. I'm really proud be in this age because all the women in my family don't make it. And I would I'm like the strongest DNA that escaped from the East End Glasgow. They're still looking for me for their Olympic team. And uh, like, She looks like a runner. And, uh... <laughs> And and I am very proud of being 52. Women at 52 get marginalised by the sex market because we get told we're either too old or we're too weird. And there's a book come out recently called Fifty Shades of Grey which really annoyed me. Don't buy it. Just don't. It's about a middle-England, middle-class, middle-aged woman who says that woman, and it's basically this woman, she gets taken to a hotel where a rich man, and this rich man ties her up and cuffs her and beats her about a bit in his sex, where, here's the deal, I'm for the East End. See if you take me to a hotel and get me naked and punch my tit, I'm going to set fire to your car. Yeah. Where I come from, that's the start of a feud. So, um, guys, you've been a lovely audience. Please give up your support for Amnesty International. I've been Janie Godley. Good night.
1: Staying nicely on message there with a captivity joke, J (laughs) D. Godley. Still to come, Greg's Proops' views on America's descent into censorship and spy culture. But now, we should have gotten the bunting out for our next guest, who's celebrating his silver jubilee at the fringe this year, 25 years after making his stand-up debut aged 31, which makes him really old. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Fred McCauley. 25 years since the first time you did a Fringe show.
3: Yep. Are you in reflective mood? Well, yes, I am to some extent. Uh, I'm going all the way back to uh, my first year because some of the material is still relevant.
1: (laughs) Are you you doing stuff about them building the trams then?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, and I heard you in your introduction, Ed, uh, just talking about um, whether Scotland would vote yes or no. Um, And as you know, since last Fringe, uh, the actual question has been decided on because there was a a great debate about whether it was going to be uh, led into the question with the words, Do you agree? (laughs) Right? Which is kind of leading because, you know, to all intents and purposes, we're still British and you're in Scotland. But when you hear, Do you agree? You kind of think, Yeah, (laughs) I do. I don't want to be different. What are we agreeing on? It's like when you see a queue, I'm joining it. (laughs) You're also doing your radio show here while you're here, though. I am indeed, yes. It's uh, two jobs, so we're, we're on air 10.30 till 12, and then I Exactly, I, go I mean, home that's, that's, and, like, that's like the middle of the night festival time, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, because some of the guests come straight from the pub as mm. well. Uh, and then I go home and have a lie down in a darkened room, and then I get up to do the stand-up at night. But you're not finding it too... too... No, I'm still managing. I've kept myself reasonably fit. I mean, uh, just think about this today. Uh, I heard somebody saying, I, you know, they were talking about Andy Murray, I, once again, Scotland punching above its weight. And I was thinking, only in Scotland do we measure our success by violence and obesity. (laughs) How'd you go on? Brilliant. I punched a fat bloke.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. Well, Fred, stick around for the rest of the show. We're gonna have some more stand-up now. Uh, One of the few Vikings on the comedy circuit of Irish descent, star of the small screen in our homeland and poised to take the UK by storm, it's
5: Mr. Neil Delamere. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Yes, I am from Ireland, but I am married to a Scottish lady, ladies and gentlemen, yes. we have been married for 33 years and she just keeps me happy by giving me sausages. And, um... (laughs) every so often show me shark videos, it keeps me happy. Um, all I wanna do is tell you about the last time I was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. You're all familiar with this festival. You pay for your posters to be put up everywhere, your flyers to be handed out, uh, stressful in the comedic sort of a way. So, uh, on the last day last year, I was cycling home, slightly inebriated, uh, uh, at four o'clock in the morning, breaking red lights like it was going out of fashion, ladies and gentlemen, when I became suspicious that there might be a police car behind me because I could see that there was a police car behind me. <laughs> And he pulled me over, Uh, I don't know why he pulled me over. I don't know how he saw me, I didn't have any lights. So he pulled me in and he started with a question because cops all over the world like to start with a question in case you give more away accidentally. Has it ever worked for them ever? Like you're pulled over in a bus lane. Do you know why I stopped you? Is this about the murder? (laughs) Oh, it's not. For shit, (laughs) I think I've said too much. (laughs) Don't check the boot. So he goes, do you know how many red lights you broke? Seven. What about the one at Royal Mile in South Bridge, that junction? And I did what any Irish person does abroad. You think, if he knows I'm foreign and not from here, I might get away with this. So went, big RBJs be be the hokey. I don't know where that is. A fiddly diddly diddly dee. And Riverdance slightly away from the bicycle. Being Irish to the UK police, when has that ever gone wrong? So. He hears the accident, he goes, ah, would you cycle through a red light at home, would you? And I went, no, officer, no, I've got a car at home. (laughs) He says, why did you break the red light? And I was like, what a stupid question, because the green one was making me homesick. He goes, I could have saved your life tonight. And I said, why? He goes, well, if you cycled through that last junction or were hit by a car, you could be dead by now. And I said, yeah, but in fairness, uh, if I get hit between now and home, that's your fault because I would have been home by now otherwise. <laughs> He's not enjoying our little tête-à-tête. He says, that's a £60 fine now if I were a total prick. So I said, so it's a £60 fine then, is it? I would have gotten away with this, except he asked me a rhetorical question. Did you know when you're sober you know to leave them alone, but when you're slightly hammered you go, I know the answer to this one, I'm gonna go for this. I could get through to the next round and play for the speedboat. I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> he goes, why did you break the red light? Are you colour blind? And I went, uh, no, but it wouldn't really matter if I was colour blind, would it? I could still tell the difference within the set of traffic lights, that's the position of the safe, the light that is on, the green one's always at the top and the red one's always at the bottom. There's no such thing as positional blindness that would just be called blindness I don't know if you've ever gotten a police escort to a bank machine but you're cycling along big heavy bike he's driving a squad car behind you at about two miles an hour you're stopping at every red light because you're not a totally just still pissed enough to go will we race he pulls me up take out the £60, I want no record of this, right? He goes, what's your name? I went, John Smith. He goes, really? You know, it's an offence to lie to a police officer. I said, John Smith, copper, write it down. He goes, if your name is John Smith, why does it say Neil Delamere on that poster with your picture behind your head? (laughs) I had stopped in front of my own Edinburgh Fringe Festival poster. There was only one in the whole bloody city, and I got caught in front of it. He was livid. I was embarrassed. The other people in my rickshaw... (laughs) Absolutely terrified. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, please continue to support Amnesty. Uh, enjoy the rest of the gig. See you again. Good luck. Bye. Thank you very much. Neil Delamere. He
1: was well. great. <laughs> Next up. A stand-up, a podcaster, an actor, and according to his press release, is back for his 39th award-seeking year. It's Greg Brooks. Hi,
4: amnesty people.
1: (laughs) Explain your your claim that this is your 39th award-seeking year.
4: Uh, Well, I mean, I've been back a lot of times, Uh, I've never gotten an award and uh, it was a joke basically, Ed. Um, Okay, I like it. it. You've spoken about Pussy Riot in your show. I (laughs) have. I mentioned them on my podcast. My wife is friends with a a woman who published their book and uh, I read from it on my podcast and uh, I read a poem about them that um, uh, Karen Finley wrote and uh, of course I've been supportive of them since the very beginning. Uh, First of all, uh, I feel like... um, Are we getting serious now? Why not? not?
1: We can for a bit, don't worry. Okay, all right. There's more stand-up to come.
4: Yeah, no, I, I think what's happened to Pussy Riot is, is very important, and it just speaks to the fact that, one, we're supposed to be allies with Russia, and uh, they do things like put poets in jail and girl rock bands, uh, and two, that they really didn't have a chance to begin with. And, uh, and I think people in America actually heard of them and got the message, which was inspiring to me.
1: But have you ever been to see a show in uh, the Edinburgh Fringe so bad that you've thought, why don't we have similar laws here? <laughs> have you never watched somebody and gone, you should be in jail, this is the worst poetry I have ever
5: seen?
4: I have, but I find that some of the venues here are such airless boxes that we're all in our own little prison for about an hour every day anyway. It's kind of like being in solitary
1: with no. We're gonna dive straight into some more live and fresh comedy from one of the youngest comics on the circuit, our next performer, one So You Think You're Funny at the ripe age of just 18. Now an old man of 22, he's turned his precocious talent into bringing his first solo show to the fringe. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ivo Graham.
0: I, um, I'll impress you, I'll try and impress you to the most adult and dangerous thing I've ever done, which is that in November of last year, I lost my driving license. Yeah, we all, we all smelt danger when I walked onto the stage. Um, I didn't actually, I wish I had lost my driving license. That would have been a lot more exciting. Um, what I actually did was I got two speeding tickets and I was denied use of my parents' car. Um, <laughs> it's, um, it's a denial of human rights jokes there at uh, Amnesty. Um, <laughs> No, that's genuinely what happened and it was a sad thing to happen and an ironic thing to happen because the second speeding offense i was caught doing a speed of 88 miles an hour uh, which i'm sure a few film buffs amongst you will recognize as the magic time traveling speed from back to the future <laughs> i'm delighted to reveal that back to the future is in fact documentary fact i hit 88 miles an hour as a flash of light and i was sent back in time to 2010 when i can't drive <laughs> and that's a shame as a wannabe adult because you essentially think if i peaked passing my driving test was the most exciting thing that ever happened to me so that's then removed and you think the rest is the rest of my life and I'm going to be life of Benjamin Button, slowly going backwards, undoing everything I've achieved so far, so I started off by losing my driving license, what next, Going to get my virginity back and then return to university? In, um, yeah, in that order, you, um, <laughs> come on guys, I know it's early, you've got to pay attention today, otherwise some of the tragedy will escape you. Um, <laughs> This isn't a sad set. I'm not saying I've got no uh, romantic victories to speak of. I've chalked up a few of my time. I'd like you all to cast your minds back if you can to the summer of 2004. I'm sure we all remember the summer of 2004, the Athens Olympics, the Butler Report. It was a great time to be alive. uh, Don't you remember what you were doing in the summer 2004? And should you imagine you're me, young, nervous, 13-year-old boy at the Marlborough Summer School Intermediate Tennis Camp. (laughs) Uh, Not the camp itself, oh no, Uh, but the end of week discotheque. Uh, well suffice it to say that one Mixed Doubles partnership was getting ever so slightly unprofessional. Uh, I'll set the scene, it was about 9pm, we'd all had a couple of Cokes. Um, found ourselves on the dance floor, the song playing over the loudspeakers was Have a Nice Day by the Stereophonics, a classic of its time. It um, wasn't there by coincidence, I'd, um, I'd had a word with the jockey in question earlier on. Um, Phonics in five, make it happen, I said, as I slipped him a flump under the decks. Um, anyway, Song starts playing, our hero leans in with the line, and I quote, I wouldn't have had such a nice day if it weren't for you. Mm. Yeah, all right, I'm not saying that line has the same devastating power now that it did then. People looking at me with blank faces like you could wield the subjunctive that casually at the age of 13. It was a big moment. It was a big moment. It was a good bit, no small victory, the most pre- prettiest girl on the tennis camp, blonde hair, blue eyes, woefully underpowered second serve, but you can't have everything. I'm not a bitter man. Didn't want to get past the semi-finals anyway. I've moved on. <laughs> Unfortunately, as we all know, it gets harder, doesn't it, to replicate those early teenage victories. I, um, I went to an all boys boarding school, developed quite a bad problem with spots. The uh, Stereophonics stopped releasing songs with such obviously flirtatious titles. Uh, Dakota, I'm not a magician. <laughs> And also, the, the goalposts start to change, don't they, adolescence and sort of development-wise. Fast forward a couple of years to another key uh, event, um, this time in August 2006 at another party. That's right, I was, a, I was such a hit at the Marlborough Summer School end of tennis camp party that I found myself invited to another party just 25 months later. <laughs> where I set about continuing what I'd started, got off with another girl at this party. I, uh, it was a camping party. I was invited to join her in her tent, a one-man tent. You can imagine the feeling of transgression, thinking there's a... There's going to be other party guests walking past that tent later in the evening going, there's, a, there's two pairs of shoes on that porch. Graham's, Graham's working his biennial magic again. <laughs> what has he got planned for 2008? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, by 2006, uh, puberty had begun uh, for some of the other people in my friendship group. And, uh, <laughs> and as I say, the goalposts start started to change. To sum up the difference in, uh, in development between me and this girl, I later found out that the week before the party, she had had full sexual intercourse. Whereas the week before the party, I had completed my Merlin Premier League sticker collection. <laughs> Which wasn't to say that I wasn't excited to be joy invited into the 10th thing in Christ. First, first the shiny Blackburn crest and now this. What a fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I let myself down after about five minutes of, um, uh, I would say, probably 12A rated uh, kissing action. And, um, and my parents weren't there, but their presence would have been reassuring at times. <laughs> I... Um, I let myself down. I, I said something which I'd heard in a movie the week before. Um, I just thought it sounded cool. I didn't mean it with any intent whatsoever. I just, uh, I just said, So, uh, what happens next? I um, didn't mean it with any predatory intent, as I say. If I was angling for anything, it was only up to the upgrade to a slightly larger tent. I'd, um, I mean, I'd brought a two man to the party. I, um, a decision that my father described earlier that day as ludicrously optimistic. But, um, <laughs> You speculate to accumulate in this game, Hugh. That's what you taught me. I couldn't possibly anticipate her response. She just looked at me and said, "Uh, whatever you want. Shivers down the spine. Fortunately, my response to this will haunt me until the end of my days. I'll run you through the dialogue again. Graham, what happens next? Girl, whatever you want. Graham, do you have any Walker sensations? A lot of stand-ups will lie to you at this festival about things. Those words are verbatim what I said, and they will stay burned onto my brain forever at the time. I'd been happy to stand here and defend my priorities to you. We'd gone as far as I could possibly have hoped to go. Um, And I wasn't really asking about the sensations. I'd uh, done some preliminary larder reconnaissance earlier in the party. Spotted a couple of niche flavors on a high shelf. Thought, first the girl, then the crisps will be mine. Um, Unfortunately, in the six years that then elapsed between uh, that night and my next opportunity for whatever I wanted, I had access to Walker's sensations on a great many more occasions. (laughs) They just mocked me more every time. I'm sure you've you've enjoyed a packet at some point in our lives. Imagine not being able to eat Thai sweet chilli without the underlying taste of regret. (laughs) Thanks very much for having me. I've been out Ivor
1: Graham, ladies and gentlemen. Let's hear for Ivor Graham again. Next, a comedian, presenter, snowboarder and very old friend of mine. It's Andrew Maxwell. Let the record show, yes. Andrew has brought Tonic's Tea Cakes yes. onto the stage and is handing them out as if they were rewards. <laughs> Andrew, you've, uh, you've, you've done some excellent shows here in the past and you've been known for coming up with some really good topical stuff. What are you throwing your eye across this year? Is, is, is independence catching your attention?
6: Oh, it is. Oh, and I, I do love a nationalist. <laughs> <laughs> they, yes, as abs-
1: a Protestant who grew up in Dublin, I'm sure you love a nationalist.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I do, yeah. Uh, as a matter of... Uh, a point of order, as it were. Um, during the week of the birth of the latest prince, uh, Prince George, there was so much media attention in London that we brought the vote forward. Uh, and on the Tuesday, we declared independence. And then on the Wednesday, we blew the oil money. And then, <laughs> then on the Thursday, we had another vote and voted ourselves back in. <laughs> we, we've all got Bentleys. <laughs>
6: with chickens in them.
1: <laughs> Greg, are you ever tempted to see if you can get a referendum going to see if California would secede from the US?
4: I'd like to take California, Oregon, part of Washington and a little bit of uh, British Columbia and form Echotopia uh, <laughs> and get away from the rest of the United States because where I live, uh, people believe in you know, evolution and science and that women are people and that gays should do what they want. And then in the rest of the country, people believe 4,000 years ago, Jesus rode a dinosaur to a gun show to buy an (laughs) (laughs) AK-47 so he could shoot a married faggot on his way to commit an abortion
1: against the Lord. (laughs) So I'm trying to find a way to crowbar in some serious question about censorship and freedom of speech and I just feel it's Yeah, what about freedom and stuff, right? Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Well, I tell
6: you what though, it is, it's an extraordinary thing about dictators.
1: Uh, Is that like a potato tree in the shape of a penis?
6: (laughs) (laughs) Try new Mugabe's. You'll re-elect a packet tonight. One thing about a dictator is quite weird. There's particularly, uh, I think I'm pronouncing it right, Lukashenko? He's the dictator in Belarus. There's some about dictators, they absolutely, be- thoroughly believe in the power of the arts. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, they have a tendency to, mean, that's where they really clamp like, down. I mean, we've been doing this festival for years, and at some point you'll have somebody, you know, in a blazer, you know, really talk about the arts. <laughs> the power of art and theatre! Right, and everybody in the room who's also in the arts is going, Wanker! <laughs> but, like, your man, this guy in Belarus actually has part of his secret police is the anti-theater riot squad, who's is a proper elite form of secret police whose job it is to break up theatre. Like only a dictator could believe that theatre was that important. <laughs> and they have they have secret theatre in the forests and stuff around Minsk. People like it's like a rave in the early 90s. Bring your costumes, <laughs> we're doing Shakespeare. Big <laughs> <laughs> right? And it's seriously, and then like. They'll, they'll, get, they'll get news of it in secret police headquarters. What? Ibsen, let's go!
7: What <laughs> if you were at a play like thing.
1: that, that was, you know, that was experimental and odd theatre being staged somewhere in a, in, a, in a forest, and suddenly secret police came on and started breaking it up, you'd think, is this part of the show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you were at a show here and suddenly men came on as police started breaking it up, you go, Oh, this is a quite, a, quite an ending.
6: This is... Just being dragged away, putting electrodes to your testicles, just thinking to yourself, God, this is immersive, isn't it? <laughs> They're, They're really is... breaking the fourth wall here. No, I, 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 I have no
3: idea where I am with this. This is some extraordinary work. I was just going to say that the forest uh, just outside Minsk is in the fringe brochure as Venue 93. <laughs>
4: I had the anti-comedy police in my show every night this week. They call themselves the audience, but I can see through them. They're clever guys. They just sit there with their arms folded, judging me, going, "Yet." Okay. Hey, our dictator's doing all right. Black Jesus. Uh, yesterday, uh... uh, uh, uh half-black Jesus. Oh, sorry, half-black Jesus. He, uh, he, yesterday, he was, uh... The, the State Department issued a global alert that all Americans are supposed to report to the State Department no matter where they are in the world, because we're in danger. I was at the grass market last night at 1 in the morning, drunk at a chip shop. I don't think there's anything the fucking State Department can do for me to keep me safe at that point. <laughs> It'd
6: be a weird moment to encounter Al-Qaeda in a chip shop on the grass market. <clears throat> Gee me, I'm a fucking Islamacist. <laughs> you're fucking, you're, you're one of these fucking infidels getting in the way of the true idea. Fucking asshole. <laughs>
1: Right, that is it for today. Thank you very much to Janie Godley, Fred McCauley, Ivo Graham, Greg Proops, Andrew Maxwell and Neil Delamere. But most of all, thank you to you for coming and listening. Christian O'Connell is in charge next week. Keep listening to these podcasts, subscribe to them, tell your friends, get involved with Amnesty International wherever and whenever you can. Thank you a lot. I have been Ed Byrne. Cheers. Cheers.
7: You've just been listening to free comedy courtesy of Amnesty International. Please make a donation to our vital work. Hello, my name is Rich Cowley. I'm a graphic designer here at Amnesty International. I've now worked here for over five years. The longest I've ever stayed in one job. That's because I love my job here. I get to combine what I'm good at, design, with the fight for justice and human rights around the world. Among the things I design here at Amnesty are the Amnesty magazine, all kinds of campaign materials which involves posters, leaflets, banners as well as fundraising materials. One thing that really matters to me is freedom of expression. We take it a bit for granted in this country. I remember seeing the Syrian cartoonist Ali Fazat speaking at Amnesty. He'd previously received death threats from Saddam Hussein. And in 2011, he'd had his fingers broken by gunmen loyal to the Syrian president just because of his cartoons. I love that I work for an organization that stands up to governments that says, actually, no, you can't treat people like that. And we're going to work with other like minded people to stop you treating people like that. If you feel like I do and want to find out more about my work and Amnesty, then just go to amnesty.org.uk and please donate £5 by texting Justice and your full name to 70505. Thank you.